Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park So good. I think we're up. Tyler, you're in the place to be. What's going on, man? How you doing? Oh, I'm doing really good, Chris. I, I'm, I'm excited to be here and hang out. Yeah, I'm excited for this, man. Uh, I, got, I know I did a little background research on you just to, uh, you know, have a few talking points in my head. But you seem like you've had a pretty uh, interesting story. You know, you interesting life, I guess I could say so far, right? I, uh, you could say that, yes. <laughs> so, so, so. Some may consider it interesting. I consider it my life, but it's always fun for me when it gets read back in like a bio. Um, you know, I, I was speaking up in Edmonton a few weeks ago. I was given a keynote presentation and the um, the host that was introducing uh gave you know gave the little spiel this is our next speaker and they never say your name until the end just to build the excitement. Sure. And so he's talking and I'm like Man, this guy sounds cool. I can't wait to meet him. And I'm standing backstage and he's like a Tyler Foley. And I'm like, oh yeah, that dude's me. That's really cool. I've done some neat shit. <laughs> nice, man. But yeah, you you had done some neat shit, dude. You know, like a couple acting gigs. Um, that's what what else did I see about you, man? You got the keynote speaking. How'd you get involved in all this going on? You know? Oh, that so yeah. So let's let's go back to the beginning. Okay, shall we? Let's do it. Let's so do it. Um, the acting started out uh, when I was young, uh, six years old. I, I was the first time I was ever on stage and it was um, life-changing, like literally life-changing for me. I, I, I was a born performer and didn't realize it until I got into my element. You know, some people don't find their calling until their twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, sixties. Sometime I was blessed six years old. I knew I was where I needed to be. And so I, I grew up in and around theater and then got to move into film and television, do some real cool things as you alluded to, right? Like, uh, the highlights that everybody likes, uh, the remake of Carrie, um, door to door, um, Freddie versus Jason. I saw Freddie versus yeah. Jason. Yeah. Everyone. And then, and, and that's the funny thing. Like that's one that people draw to. And like, it was, it was literally 10 seconds of film. Like you barely see my face. So, um, you know, I got to do just, just some really, really cool things. And then in my mid twenties, you know, 25, 26, I've, I've at that point, I'd been acting for 20 years. And I did what most people do when they've been 20 years into a career and I retired and got out uh, of acting, went back to school, got an engineering discipline behind my belt, nice. uh, started my own aerial survey firm 
which was like super cool because one of my other passions is planes. I, I, I've worked for uh, national airline in my past, uh, especially as an actor, it was a super helpful job to have because then if I needed to audition in Toronto or LA or New York, I could just literally hop on a plane and pretend like I was local. <laughs> flying, you know, and I had friends all over the place because I, I I like to make friends. So, you know, it was always like, hey, can I crash with you? And they'd be like, oh, yeah, no problem. I'd be like, don't worry, I'm not going to get the part. So you're not committed to a long thing. Um, and it was, it was just, it was really fun. I got to, uh, you know, really do a lot. And then so when I started my own aerial photography firm and, and survey firm, that was, that was just fun. Cause I got to play with my own small planes. I had a fleet of three. Uh, unfortunately that business, um, collapsed really quickly. Sure. It's amazing what you don't know until you don't know it. And, and then, you know, when you need to know it, how quickly it comes into play. And I didn't know a lot about business. I knew a lot about, um, leadership performance, um, I knew a lot about the technicalities of the industry that I was in photogrammetry and map making, um, cartography. It, I was, I was good that way, but actually running a business, I, I went to the school of hard knocks and learned a lot of lessons rapidly with my first business endeavor. And then, uh, because I had my primary client was the government. Cause that's who, like what I was doing was making those aerial photographs. Okay. So like anybody who's ever turned on satellite view on Google Maps, right? That's what I was doing. I was making those photo reliefs so that people could, you know, you could see the building that you live at, and um, and your primary client for that is not Google. It's actually um, the government, various forms of the government, uh, you know, sustainable resources, uh, USGS. USGS was probably my biggest clients, United States Geological Sur uh, Survey. Um, so I, when you work for the government, they need you to have a safety system in place. It's one of the mandatory requirements. And so I had to go and get all this safety training to be able to put together the safety program, to be able to manage the safety program at my company. And when the company failed, a buddy of mine, who is a far more successful and far more brilliant businessman than I am said, listen, I, he runs a, an electrical company, uh, you know, putting not the utility, but actually electricians going out and wiring stuff, sure. new build, new construction. He said, I got, I'm involved in this nearly billion dollar construction project. And one of the requirements they have of this is that I have a full-time dedicated safety manager on site. Would you be interested in doing it? Because you actually have all the training necessary. I just need to get you these extra three courses and then we can get you this national construction safety officer designation. Off you go. So I was like, sure, let's do that. And while I was on site, you know, it, it, there's a lot of money, a lot of players, a lot of interested parties that are going through this uh, this construction process, and so I there was like quarterly inspections where all of the big wigs, um, all of the stakeholders would be on site. And I remember yeah. this one time there were these guys that were standing at they were doing things that they shouldn't have been doing, right? And working off of a ladder the way that they shouldn't have been working off a ladder. They're trades guys, what yeah. they do, and they'd peek at me. They're like, "You you're not even an electrician. You don't even know what's going on. You don't know how to do this stuff. Go back to your trailer. You know that's where safety belongs in the trailer. You want it to be safe. You don't be around here." And I was like, eh, "Yeah, except for uh, what you're doing is remarkably dangerous. And although I've never pulled wire the way that you've pulled wire." I used to jump out of six story windows for a living and that was safer than what you're doing right now. And that was a, an, a bit of a stretch 
because I was an actor who occasionally did stunts. And one of the stunts that I did was a high fall out of a six story okay. uh, window, but that you're right. Super cool. Used my own personal story and flipped it on them. And they were like, what? And so I, I was like, come down because if you think what you're doing is safe, I'm telling you it's not. And from my perspective, jumping out of a window was better. And the building that we were constructing was this very large complex. And at the time it wasn't fully developed. And so it was very echoey and the stakeholders, all owners of billion dollar corporations were walking through a lot of suits, a lot of suits and ties, a lot of, of letters course. after uh, names. And one of them pulled me aside. He said, is that true? I said, is what true? He said, did you used to jump out of windows? I was like, well, yeah, kind of. And then I gave the explanation that I gave you. Yeah. And then he goes, um, and that was safer than what we're doing here. This oil and gas facility that where safety is paramount and critical. And we and I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which was, by the way, both the right and the wrong answer, because they sure. do not like to hear that what they're doing is not safe. And it's not that it's not. It's just that what I did was safer. And so I explained it. So he asked if I would give that as a toolbox talk the next day. I said, sure. Gave it as a toolbox talk the next day. One of the other executives was in the toolbox talk and pulled me aside. He said, Tyler, is that true? I said, is, is what true? He said, did you jump out of windows? I was like, yeah, that's why I saw That's why I said the story. He's like, I find that fascinating. Would you be willing to give that as a keynote presentation at our next safety stand down? Nice. I said, absolutely. What's a keynote? <laughs> I, I didn't know at the time. Sure. And so he was like, yeah, no, this is what it is. And he explained it to me. And I was like, sure. So his um, assistant reached out to me and said, you know, what, uh, what was my, what was my speaker fee? And I was like, I don't know. Well, I, but I have a couple of people who have like done things similar to that. And, uh, you know, I knew a few speakers and I, I had a couple of friends who ran ages. So I just phoned, I did a couple of phone calls and I was getting like wildly different numbers from these people. I, I heard everything from 2,500 to $50,000 as keynote fees. And I'm like, well, I need to ballpark here. Right. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know. I'll figure out what my monthly salary is. Okay. Right. So we'll I'm just going to write down my monthly salary because I know if somebody says, what is the thing? And you don't know, there's two answers to that. You just throw a dart at the dartboard, or you say, I don't know, what's your budget? And then try to figure something out there. In this case, I wasn't that savvy. I didn't say, what's your budget? I just wrote down my monthly salary, gave it to them. And they said, okay, would you like that in advance or on the day? Well, give it to me in advance. And as soon as I realized that I could earn my month's wage in advance with in like 45 minutes versus 28 days up on sure. site, I was like, well, let's do this thing. And so I, at that point on, I was doing keynotes. And then I did it. Initially, my keynote was on safety. And it was called Jumping Out of Windows, the safest job I ever had. Nice. And that has morphed over time because so many people would come up to me and be like, how do you do what you do? Like, because they've seen a lot of keynote presentations. They've seen a lot of people who speak on stage, but apparently I'm very entertaining and make safety interesting, <laughs> which is a very difficult thing to do. And so they would oh, come I'm to sure. me and be like, how do you do this? How do you do this? How do you do this? And I... I said the same thing over and over and over and over again to the point where I was like, you know what? I bet you I could make this a, a training thing. So initially I had what was called uh, basic instructional technique. 
is what I had initially called it because I liked it because it was an acronym and it could be BIT. It was my BIT course, right? <laughs> and basic instructional technique. And I would have people come in for two days and it was literally public speaking 101 for mid-level managers and supervisors who were thrust into the position where they were going to have to give presentations of some form, whether that's a toolbox talk or a meeting or a presentation and uh, who didn't want to do it. Sure. And so I just, I started training them to do it. And then that morphed into me full time training people and, and not just in the construction industry, generally how to be better presenters on stage. And now I have, you know, the, Power to Speak Naked, which is my number one best-selling book. That has a support of three-day uh, course. We have the Power of Influence, which is a five-day workshop. Like everything, just kind of spun out from there, and it's just been fascinating. It's just been an absolute joy to end up here from where I was at no six doubt. years old. No doubt, man, Tyler, that was quite a handful right there, man. I mean, but yeah, that's wild to me. I mean, and plus one of the great things, like you have a cool story, just that kind of almost fell in your lap and just all your life experiences and stuff just kind of built up to this one defining moment, if you will. And it was either, Hey man, Sean or sink or swim, I guess. Right. And you just, you just swam, baby. You were in the Olympics, man. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and again, it was, it was unbelievable how, like I look back and it's such a straight path. You know, I'm like, yeah, that happened, that happened, that happened, that happened. And the trajectory is hundred percent. If I would six year old me looking up to 43 year old me is going, that is windy and curvy as hell. Like how did you manage that? But it, it, everything, right. Uh, Tony Robbins says it more way better than I do. Um, life happens for you, not to you. Hmm. And like all of these things kind of led me to here. Nice, man. Just, uh, and like, does you kept grinding with it along the way? I mean, were there any hiccups? Like when you said, nah, I ain't doing this anymore. I'm getting out of this, you know? Oh yeah. 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 I mean, when the, when the business collapsed, I was, I was devastated. I'd just come back from a business trip, um, from Hong Kong. I I'd gone out and, uh, and basically if that trip didn't go the way that it needed to go, uh, we were folding. And uh, it didn't go the way that it needed to go. And I remember getting off the plane and I, it was a, just a hassle getting back to because the flight had gone mechanical. And so it was oversold and my fare got bumped. And, and so I was, I was on standby trying to get out. And uh, I was the last person to board. Um, and the only seat available was a first class seat. So, hey, I, I got a free upgrade to first class. And I remember sitting in the first class cabin um, and crying, crying on the flight back because I, I, this was a thing that I couldn't even afford if I wanted to. And my business was collapsing. It was just, I was just overwhelming. I couldn't even enjoy my first class seat back because I knew that the reality was that that business was about to fold. Um, And I just, yeah, wanting to give up, like really, I wanted to give up at that point. You know, that was kind of my life focus. That was my last three and a half years. It was two years of school. It was um, networking. It was a family legacy. My father, my grand, not my father, nor my grandfather, my uncle, the one related to my father, uh, was (laughs) was a photogrammetrist. My other 
uncle was a cartographer. My grandfather was a surveyor. So a lot of that was in my blood. I felt like Ah, that I needed to sustain like all of these things. And it was just, it was weighty on me. And here I was actor boy. And, um, you you know, it it was crushing. It it was, it really was. It was one of those things where, and I, cause I didn't like acting anymore either too. Like I retired at 25 for a reason. It had become a job as opposed to a vacation or even uh, something to do. Like it was a grind and it was hard and I was tired of doing it. Um, the irony is I, you know, I went and I got a real job, um, or more rather I transitioned from acting at all and just kept my, my job with the airline. And, uh, I never made, I didn't make the same earning that I did acting for over a decade, like from 25 oh. to 35. I still, everybody was like, you have to get a real job. And I'm like, why do I got to get a job? I do know how much I made acting. Like that was, <laughs> that was decent. Like I, you know, I could live and I only worked as a, a working actor only job that I had for about a f- seven year period. Um, I, you know, I would work 80 to 150 days a year sure, and, and earn more than I worked working full time plus doing ship trades at the airline. <laughs> that's, that's wild, man. I don't doubt it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you kind of alluded this to this. I mean, you, you know, you said that was it burnout where you just got tired yeah. of, yeah, of the acting stuff. And like, you was kind of cool that, you just went after, you know, I forgot what you called it, but what your uncle did. And that was kind of part of your blood. And is that, was that like a calling for you too at the same time? But- well, so yeah and no, what ended up happening was I, um, while working for the airline and trying, I was stationed in Toronto and my family lives in Calgary. So there it's the equivalent of, uh, basically New York to, um, uh, like Denver, Colorado as geographic distance in Canada. And I was trying to travel back home to, to see my mom and my wife, uh, my father-in-law who wasn't my father-in-law at the time lived in Toronto and my wife had come and he used to work for the airline. And so he had what's called a golden pass. So he's right, right as an employee that retired and had, uh, like 25, 30 years service with the company, even though he didn't work for the company anymore, he retired with the company and he was able to have his flight passes, uh, continue on. And my wife was under, I think she, as a dependent, she could fly until she was like 25 years old. And so she had gone out to visit him and, uh, was trying to get back to Calgary where she was living and going to school. I was, um, trying to get back to visit my mom. Same story. There are a whole bunch of flights got canceled. There was a standby list. My wife ended up getting bumped off of like 12 or 14 flights over the course of two days. Oh, I showed up on the second day and, uh, and we ended up chit chatting because we were noticing that we were getting bumped gate to gate to gate. And we were just kind of traveling together, yeah. you know, and you start to see the familiar faces who, when they're like, Passengers standing on air can't stand on standby on Air Canada flight 155 to Calgary. Uh, the flight is full. Your itinerary is automatically <laughs> transferred over to the next flight. And, so and well. there's like 12 of you who are going, 
oh, <laughs> right? And like you can see the disappointment on everybody's face and you start to see the same people. So I had, I had noticed her and she was with this group of uh, two other girls and I thought they were flight attendants. So I just went up and chit-chatted them thinking they were in flight. And they were like, who the hell are you? And what are you saying? We don't understand your words, but you're really cute. And uh, so I, I ended up, we ended up sitting on the same uh, plane together and just chit-chatting. And so my wife and I ended up being friends for like years before we started dating, two or three years before we started dating, just chit-chatting. And um, when she graduated just before me and her started dating, and I had decided to go back to school just before we started dating because I wanted, I'd, I'd read a thing um, Darren Hardy talks about, about, um, you know, if you, you've got to map out who your ideal dream woman is. And then you figure out what that person would want in, in a man. Sounds interesting. You know, right. So like, or your dream partner and then what they would want in a partner. Sure. And I, and then you, what you do a gap analysis. What of those things do you have? And what are those things do you need? And I had done this gap analysis and I was like, well, if I want to date my wife, I want to marry my wife because I wanted to marry her. I, I I wanted to marry her the minute I saw her in that airport. Nice. I knew that I she was an important person in my life. But I got very rapidly put into the friend zone. And I was like, I don't want to be, I don't like this. Ooh. I don't want to do this. I will I will play here for a little bit, but we I am boyfriend material and I'm gonna prove it to this woman. <laughs> so one of the things was I I needed to go back to school. I needed to get an education. And so um I basically looked at her i was like well if she went to sate i can go to sate that was the school that she went to so i looked at what the offerings were and i'm like what do i know and what interests me and there were three different courses that interest me so i i one of them was the geomatics engineering technician which is the photogrammetry and and gotcha. the cartography it's the map making surveying and map making is what gotcha. it is and uh the other one was like non-destructive testing which is uh using um x-ray and ultrasound to test uh, materials, particularly in pipelines and, and metallurgical stuff. And, and I can't even remember what the other one was at this point. I literally threw a dart at it. Oh, it was an EMT. Oh, I wanted to be a paramedic. So I was like, I could, I could go ride in a meat wagon or I could go test these things or I could go out and survey. And I was like, I'd be happy doing either one of those. And I just threw a dart and it landed on the geomatics engineering technologist program. And so that's how I chose to go back to the school. To school. And I was like, well, of course, that's where, quote unquote, fate would send me because look at the lineage. Even when my first job that I had when I went out to Vancouver to start acting full time, yeah. thinking that I needed to have a job was working for my uncle's uh, photogrammetry uh, company, scanning aerial photography into the computer, which was funny because within a year of working for him, he was like, you don't want to work here. You go act. He said, I'm holding you back go act. So I stopped working for him by, you know, I started it just before I turned 18 and I stopped just before I turned 19. And basically from 19 to 24, 25, my full-time job was acting. And then I picked up the Air Canada gig about the last six to eight months of me acting because it gave me this, again, this freedom to be able to travel and uh, do it. In my head, I had done everything that I could in Vancouver. And I was like, well, if I'm going to continue in this career, <laughs> very ego driven, by the way, because it wasn't true. It was a story I was telling in my head. If I was going to continue in this career, I need to be able to broaden my my reach. I need to be able to audition in all these places and they won't see you if you're not local. So I had to be there. And it was just a way for you know somebody who was uh, 
doing okay to sustain my lifestyle on my own, but didn't have the means to travel regularly to New York, LA, and Toronto if I wanted to. Uh, so it was a quick way to make ends meet. You know, touching on what you just said there about being ego driven, you know, I have a lot of, I don't want to say a lot of debates, but I have some conversations on here about, you know, can you be uh, successful with or without an ego? And, you know, you got to be on the fence about it. I mean, there's a difference between obviously arrogance and confidence and, but you need some type of ego, right? And some type of confidence, to keep pushing you forward and keep driving you, you know, but you just can't lay in the cut and just, you know, just, I guess, just take what life gives you. You got to kind of want, you know, go after your dreams and go after what you want, kind of like what you were saying, you know, but, and know kind of, kind of have a path in your, or to stay forward and go, you know, go forward and go be positive and say, Hey, this is what I want out of my life. I just want to lay here and, just take, you know, uh, long story short, just take whatever the easy road, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think you need to have a, a self self-confidence. And uh, I think what more than anything, you need to have faith that what you're doing is the right thing. Um, True. Whether you have an ego to go with that, it can both help and hinder your path. Like I was really cocky. At 25, I, I'm booking more now in my 40s than I did um, in my 20s for a couple of reasons. I give zero Fs right now whether I book a role because I don't need to book a role because I am I have three companies that I run. Most of my revenue is generated from speaking on stage and helping other people speak on stage. If I happen to get this acting gig, it's just, it's just, it's, it's, I don't, the money is irrelevant. I don't, I did the money. I don't care about. It's just an opportunity for me to go and play. I got to do uh, at the, um, a few months ago, I got to do a show with Shannon Elizabeth. It was just a day player bit. You know, I, I, it was just a couple of lines one day on set, but it was really fun. Because, you know, she's American Pie fame. And I actually got to work on set with her twice before in Vancouver on Scary Movie and um, 13 Ghosts. Oh, but, yeah. I remember this. but what I was doing, I didn't actually get to interact with her. So on Scary Movie, I was doing photo doubling, uh, a little bit of stunt doubling and some background work um, on uh, 13 Ghosts. I was doing stand in work. And so I was on set and around, but I didn't get to interact with her. So, you know, fast forward almost 20 years later to be able to get to do a scene with her and actually like interact was just, it was, it was fun. It was playtime for me. And it, it, you know, the check came and I was like, oh yeah, no, that's nice. And in fact, all my acting checks don't even go into my regular bank account. They go into, um, cause I get, I'm Canadian and I get paid in us funds when I act. So I have this yeah. little us fun money account. So if I go to like, you know, Mexico, or if I go to Vegas or whatever, however much I've got in this little fund, that's my, it's my play money. So, you know, if I'm going to Vegas and like, so if I'm going to go to the casino, cause I don't like to gamble, like it's just, it's not a thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. But I love playing poker. Like I just, I love the game. I absolutely love it. So just hold them. Yeah. 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 So it's just, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, it's just fun for me, but I'm not going to get into like the big games and I'm not going to gamble a lot of money. So a lot of the times I just take this, I have this little fund of, of money. It's not much, you know, I get, I still get residual checks from 
stuff I did 25 years ago. And nice. it goes into this little fund. And then if I want US money, now I pull out the US money and then I go and then I'm not getting stung with exchange fees and all the rest of that. And I create my budget. Sometimes I have a big pool of money to draw from and I go, oh, well, I'm going to limit myself to 200 bucks. Sometimes I have, you know, 150 bucks in there. And I'm like, well, I guess my budget is 150 bucks. You know, it's what it, whatever. I just keep it, um, keep it very low, very minimal. But that was, you know, I, I book more now because there isn't that, that push for it. And sure. I think a lot of that comes down to the ego. Cause when I was 25, first of all, there was a hunger and I think you need the hunger to want to push and to keep doing things, I agree. but there's also a point where that hunger becomes desperation where you're starving. <laughs> it's okay to, it's okay to have a hunger and a drive. It's another thing to be starving and emaciated and that creates desperation and that creates a lot of, um, panic unnecessarily and so i think right now i'm comfortable so i can just go out i can just show up and do and you know i'm in a great place in my life you know my wife and i have built an incredible life together and you know we have a really stable family really stable home life um great support so there aren't some of those pressures that i had earlier on in my career and now i just go out and do for those who don't know, Shannon Elizabeth, correct me if I'm wrong, Tyler, was uh, in the first American Pie and like the foreign girl that was yeah. trying to get with yeah. Jill. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I, I feel like everybody would be looking her up right now. Just make, say, like, who's she talking about? But yeah, that's uh, yeah, who she is. Yeah. But, um, yeah and dude. phenomenal human being, by the way, Run uh, plays poker herself, has been on the World Poker Series a few times. I don't think she's ever won, but right, uh, right. she's, yeah, she's definitely played it with some high level folks. Uh, including she was at a table with Daniel Negrano, and I think he he uh, he busted her uh, <laughs> on a on a really bad read one day. Well, bad read for her, great read for him. Um, I, and uh, you know Daniel Negrano is a Canadian. I follow him. I absolutely love him. But um, it, she's and then she has this incredible animal charity too that she supports. So like she's you know beyond Shannon Elizabeth the actress. Shannon Elizabeth the human being is an incredible person. Yeah, how'd you? Oh, well, I want to ask about poker a little bit, just because you know, ever since I was a little kid, like that's was in my family's tradition. You know, every time we had family get-togethers, everything we were playing some type of poker, whether it be Texas Hold'em, Follow the Queen, Five Card yeah. Draw, all those stupid little games that yes, you can do with yeah. it. You're betting with like five cents, ten cents, and yeah, yeah, it was fun for me growing up. And you know, I don't play as much as I used to now, but it was still. I got into online poker for a little while, and I was like, oh, I can't keep doing this. This is going to turn into yeah. almost an addiction. Just I did have one uncle who went down, well, went under for it for a gamble addiction. That's when I was kind of, it was yeah. kind of my stop sign saying, eh, maybe it's just yeah. uh, ended the line for me. But what, is this something you just always done too? And you just got into it or what? Growing up in the theater, it yeah. was your backstage Ooh. card games are the thing. So it starts, right? Like you're playing cribbage or, um, the Kings in the corner or what, what are some of the other ones that we used to play? Like, um, asshole, like if it's always, yep. you know, game of that going asshole. along. And then, uh, and then eventually it's just like, well, hey, cause then you get the poker set and the poker chips and it's not real money. So you're, you get to play and I'd watch the other people play. And as an actor, it becomes real easy to like, you start to be able to read people and you can start sure. to there's tells and there's, and it's really good for you to stay, be first of all, aware of your tells. Like, I think one of the reasons that you see a lot of actors who move into uh, poker and are a little bit more successful with it. Jennifer Tilly is another example of a great, great poker player and i think one of the things that makes her an incredible poker player is her performance background because not only can she and not only is she aware of her own body but because we spend so much time mimicking other people we can start to see what 
we're mimicking. And so you start to pay attention to patterns within people's play and, and just pay attention to it. And then you can start to pick up on people's tells and, and it makes, you know, for a really good player, but I just, I, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. I don't know. I don't know what's more fun playing a good hand poor, like you're like, you've got a weak hand sure. or playing, you know, two, seven off suit. Like you've got pocket aces <laughs> like that to me, like, honestly, there's sometimes where, I will just be like, I will make up the story in my head. And even, even if the cards are coming up and you know somebody's got a hand and you're playing a hand that you're probably drawing dead to, that you would, the, the fake hand, your, your real hand is definitely dead. You, you have no hope, but you're, you know, you're drawing to, you know, 5% chance and to be able to have your, your pretend hand hit and have the balls to be like, I'm in and convincingly be like, no, that was it. I needed the card. And to have somebody be like, you're holding the ace, aren't you? Yeah. You had the ace of clubs. <laughs> yeah, didn't dude. you? Yeah. Did you have the clubs? You have the clubs. Got it. Cause you know, I got it, baby. They, right. They had, they had the flush on the river, but you, you had the ace. And so now you have four clubs out there and you're, you're repping the ace of clubs and you totally hit. Oh yeah. No, I, to be able to, and then to turn it over to you, if you want to be a real, I've never been, but I've, I've always seen those guys, you know, and they flip it over and they're like, yeah, here's my two seven offs. <laughs> <laughs> they were both red cards. Uh, yeah. <laughs> lies. Yeah. Just lies. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, I, yeah. I love the game. I love the game because it's a game. I don't love the game because of the money. And that's why I play it to play it. Like oh. I am, I am playing a game and you know, it's, uh, I love that line. It's a game played with, uh, it's a game of people that happens to be played with cards. Hmm. That's how it, like for, to me, it's a study of human emotions, highs, lows, for sure. uh, nervousness, uh, and both nervousness from a bad perspective and nervousness from a good perspective. Like, and what's the difference? What's the difference when you're nervous from a place of weakness and when you're nervous from a place of strength, you know, when you're hoping a thing goes your way, in a good way, you're like, how much can I extract out of this hand? And when something's going, you're nervous for things going bad and wrong way, how much I'm about to lose, right? Like it's, it's a weird, it's a difference. It's no a doubt. different nervousness. And to be able to see that, play it, interpret it, like all of, for all of those reasons, I absolutely love the game. Absolutely love it. Yeah, dude, it's so fun and exciting. Just like you just, you just made it sound so great. That's exactly what it is. Cause you're excited. You're like, Ooh, am I going to get it? Is he got it? What are we doing here? You're trying to read everything, but I would imagine you can transfer a lot of those skills with your keynote speaking. I'm sure like, can you like read in the audience, you know, when oh, you yeah. enjoy all your favorite sports, like never before at BetMGM. sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, when you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to fifteen hundred dollars back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park
Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. So again, acting gave me all these skills. So learning to read an audience started very early in my age, six, seven, eight years old. I was learning to read energies, read the room. I was also learning what human behaviors are like, what emotions are like, as I got into my later teens and really started studying the craft. I went to the Alberta High School of Fine Arts. Um, I really started to study, you know, like Meisner and the actor studio and method acting and, and all, and just different techniques of how to get into it. Um, so I've always been a study of human reaction, both to be able to portray it and to know what an audience is thinking and if we need to pivot. And so that translated has translated unbelievably well for me as a keynote speaker, because you can read a room, you know, when things are going down or when things are going up. I was given that keynote presentation up in Edmonton a few weeks ago. And, you know, there were a couple of times where the room, me, I needed to change the energy of the room. Like you could just sense it. I, uh, I was talking about, um, about my father passing away when I was six years old, which is one of the things that led to me being on stage. And, uh, you know, when I presented it, I, I always talk about the two most significant moments of my life came when I was six, and they were both sounds, the one being the sound that the audience made the first time I was ever on stage, and they clapped and stood up and gave me a standing ovation. And okay. that has put me on a trajectory to be doing this for my as my career. And then the next sound happened two months to the day after the first. And that's the sound that my mom made when a police officer and my family physician came to the door and told her that my father would never be coming home. And the sound that she made was uh, just devastating. Like it was guttural. It was animalistic. It reverberated through the house. It, it shook my spine. Like it, it, it's a sound I never want to hear again. And that has impacted the trajectory of my life and every decision I've made, both of them happening at six years old. And so I was going into this story and very much how we are right now. Like you, I know how your audience is feeling because I can see it in your eyes. Yeah, dude. I tell that and it gets heavy. It gets heavy quick, right? And so, yeah. and I know, but I can feel that. And I'm like, okay, so how do I turn this around? Like, how do we bring this to a point of happiness? And, and to be able to uh, take somebody on a journey is something that I learned very quickly. And so as a keynote presenter, I rely on that very, uh, a lot because that is what you need to do. You need to take your audience on an emotional journey. If you want to have impact with the words that you're saying, and you need to, and one of the quickest ways to do that is to tell your, your personal story. So one of the reasons I use that story is because I know where I was exactly when, and if I want, I've given a very 30 quick 30 second synopsis when I was doing it for the keynote, it's about a five minute uh, talk where I, you know, I pick, I put them in the environment where I was, what I was doing, reading the comic book and, you know, just minding my own business. And all of a sudden I hear the shuffle beside me. So like you can, I can place the audience in there, but it's important that I know that I've brought them up to a high so that they're happy, that they've heard the applause, you know, and I even get them to do it. Like if I'm doing the keynote presentation, I'm like, I want everybody to just do this for a second. Yeah. Right. And everybody starts clapping. I'm like, okay, a little louder, a little bit louder. Now I want you all to stand up and really get into it. Right. And I'm like, thank you very much for my, my standing ovation. I'm done now. Right? And then exactly that. So they're laughing and I'm like, that sounds that's that's clever. That kept me going. Right. And then I do the, and then I get into that bit and then they're heavy. And I'm like, now listen, you know, I, I 
I want you to know, you know, you can go from high to low and it doesn't take very long. Somebody could be at the peak of their career and they could have it completely, totally ripped out from them. But I want you to remember that it's based on the choices that we make. And then I start to take them and I give them a point. Les Brown says it way better than I do. You never tell a story without a point. Sure. And you never make a point without a story. And those are words that I took from Les directly talking to him one-on-one, getting to work with him. And, um, and I've taken them to heart ever since, right? We Stories are what connect us. They're what um, combine us. It's how we've communicated as a species for eons. I agree 100%. Um, and so that's one of those things where I, I just, I, I know why I'm saying the things that I'm saying and what trajectory we need to go on. And so, yes, being an actor and being in tune to where my audience is at and knowing where they are in that emotional spectrum. and then knowing how to take them there. Cause you can't, you can't leave your audience on this dude's dad just died. And I'm sad about that. Yeah. And just drop that. You can't leave that. You've got to bring them to the, well, what came from that? Right? Like, I don't believe that I need to look for the positive and things in life. Hmm. I don't. I, in fact, I would argue that there is, n- I, my father's passing was not a positive. Okay. Right. I'm not making that a positive, but there is grace in everything that occurs in our life. There is a divinity in everything that occurs in our life. I'm not going to make my father's passing a positive, but it was a, something that was necessary to put me on the path that I was today. My father hadn't have passed away. I would not be who I am, what I do. And uh, I wouldn't have the things that I have. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had my grandchild or his grandchild. Rather, I wouldn't have my daughter. So all of these things were necessary. All of these that winding road when six-year-old Tyler looks forward, that winding road that occurred is a straight path looking backwards because there was divine grace in everything that happened. And it was all necessary. Um, and so I, I look for the grace. I don't look for the positive. That's powerful stuff, man. Just because you know, it's so easy to be negative in this world and there's always – you know, people, why, why me? Why did that happen to me? But they don't, you know, they don't understand, you know, Hey, there might be a reason down the road that, you know, this is happening. I mean, do I know the answer is why? No, I don't know why. And I'm not very religious and I don't, you know, and if you are, that's fine. But I mean, there's a plan for you, I guess, in some universal law, if that's what you believe or whatever, but just because yeah, something negative, bad happens to you and what it means, there's ways like like that. You said it perfectly. There's, you can turn into like a grace, I guess is basically it. Yeah. And, and then, and then I, I, cause I think the thing with, you know, the positive look for the silver lining, well, screw the silver lining. You know, <laughs> like, I don't like, yeah, your dad died. Yeah. And here's the positive that came from that. No, no, I don't want to do that. But I do know that, you know, it was, it was a, an important and defining part of my career and, and my life, you know, and who I am um, is defined by that moment or at least in part, defined by that a lot of things have gone into creating the human that i am but well, that was a big one yeah. right and two two very influential moments within two months and so i think it's important that we look at at what those are and it's funny because i was actually thinking about this over the weekend i was in dallas i was supposed to be speaking in dallas on with tony robbins nice. not with him not not you know face to face but on his stage um, at uh, the event Power Within that was in Dallas just this past Friday. Okay. And um, the power went out on the back riser. And 
So for 40 minutes while they were trying to get uh, power to it, the host, who is another phenomenal speaker, Bob Cattell, um, was uh, basically tap dancing without any AV. So he had no mic. He had no lights. He had no presentation slides. In an in an auditorium or like a, a stadium, a hockey stadium designed to seat 12,000 people. And here he is solo voicing it. And I'm looking at Bob. I'm like, man, what a pro, but because they couldn't get on my, I'm the, I was the low billing speaker on it. And I was only ever going to have five minutes. That yeah. was it. That was, I, I, and everybody else had anywhere from 20 to 45 minutes. Tony had three hours. But I was just, I was literally a five minute spot. Um, and it was a favor from the promoter. He flew me down, did all the stuff. And he's like, if you, you know, you've got five minutes, if you want to sell this uh, event that you're doing in um, October in Las Vegas, we'll, I'll give you the spot. We'll split the revenue, whatever. And I was like, great, let's do it. And what did he have to do? He had to pull me aside and he's like, listen, man, we're, we're behind and I, I need you to give up your spot. I can't, I can't have you on, even though it's only five minutes. I, you can't, I can't have it on. Damn. And, you know, so instantly I'm like, oh, and, and I, you know, the, where the mind wants to go right away. I'm like, I'm stuck in Dallas. My, just before I flew down on, I flew down on a Wednesday, the event was on a Friday and on the Tuesday, um, my wife had been sick starting about the Friday before. Okay. And, and so she was, you know, just out, out of, not because of anything that's going on in the world, just because out of politeness, she was isolating up in the room upstairs. I was staying downstairs. I was taking care of my daughter and, uh, my mom was supposed to come up and, and take help out with my daughter. Cause she's six years old while, um, while Jen was away, my wife and, you know, while she's working, mom's going to take care of my daughter and, and get her to school and everything. But because Jen was sick, I was like, well, it'd be better if we just take my daughter down to my mom and out of an abundance of caution, because I had to test for COVID to leave Canada and come into the United States. Right. I'm like, well, we'll just get, we'll get Kenzie. That's my daughter tested. Uh, just, just in case, right. Just peace of mind. So that mom knows that, you know, everything's okay. My test comes back completely, totally negative. I'm good to go. I'm clear to go to the States. Nice. And the, and then the pharmacist comes out and he's like, yeah. And she tested positive. I'm like, she did what now? And then I'm phoning my wife and my wife's like, yeah, I just tested positive. I'm oh, like, well, yeah. you did what now? And I'm like, okay, now I can't be around you guys. So I'm down in Dallas and I had, you know, if I wanted to focus on the negative, I could be, you know, over the weekend, if me landing back in Canada on a Sunday, late Sunday, these were, this was, these are two stories that I could tell. Um, my spot got pulled. The stuff that I needed to get done in Dallas, I couldn't. The event didn't go the way that it needed to. Um, the hotel room, the hotel that we were booked at, gave away my room. Even though it was reserved, we had a reservation. The hotel gave away my room. Damn. Um, when I went to get on the flight, there was a big storm that went through the East Coast, and I had to, instead of having a direct flight into Calgary, I had to go Dallas to Toronto, Toronto into Calgary, and Toronto's uh, airport just got decimated in this storm so they were backlogged for ages and so my flight got went mechanical got canceled then i was set on standby so it was supposed to be an eight-hour trip home ended up being an 18-hour trip home um what was my and so reverse of what happened in hong kong what was my first class ticket became this standby last seat cattle class down in the back 
seat. So I didn't get my meal. I didn't eat all day. Um, I couldn't even come home because my wife and my kid are isolated. Uh, so that's one story that I could tell. Right. Yeah. Or that all that was factual, all that was truthful. Or here's the other story that I could tell. Promoter believed in me enough that he paid for me to come down to Dallas. And even though I didn't get to talk, I got an upgraded hotel room at a separate hotel, fancier hotel than what I would have normally stayed at, uh, at the venue. I got to be chauffeured around in a private limo service to I... and from the venue and to and from the hotel. Um, I got to, for the first time in all of these events that I've been doing with Tony Robbins, get a private photo with Tony Robbins. I got to be backstage with Molly Bloom, Bob Cattell, Phil Town and his wife, Bo Eason and his wife. Don Eason is a, is a, uh, an idol of mine because I remember watching her on 902 or on Melrose Place and thinking what a phenomenal actress and to actually get to meet her in person in the green room is phenomenal. I got to make an, a huge impression on the promoter because I was grace, gracious and grateful um, to just be there. I didn't have to pout about not having any stage time. It was only five minutes anyways, and we didn't know what we were going to sell. He's going to work with me to make sure that going forward, we have a bigger, better event. Bo Eason wants to work with me so that we have a bigger, better event. Wow, dude. Um, I got to, um, I instead of having to kill time at home and find out alternate arrangements because my family is having to isolate, that time was taken care for me. So I got to hang out longer in an airport. I got to meet a couple of my old friends that I used to work with in Toronto because I had all of that time. I was able to go into the baggage call and meet people that I used to work with and have a really good lunch and a catch up and a visit. Both of those are true, right? Sure. So you can focus on the positives or you can focus on the negatives. And I remember sitting there thinking, I'm not, I'm, I'm not focused on either. I'm just enjoying my time. These are just things that are happening. This is just part of the weekend. It's not a good weekend. It's not a bad weekend. It's my weekend. And that, that was how it went. Man, that's, that's a pretty awesome story right there, dude. I mean, just <laughs> turning that completely into positive and all worked out. But while, while you were talking though, I had a question come in my head that you know, when you first started speaking in front of these audiences, I know you did the, uh, you know, acting and everything, but you know, was there any, you know, nervousness, stage fright? Cause I've gave a couple of presentations, you know, for work and my things, but it's nothing like major keynote stuff or, but you know, there was yeah. part of me, it was obviously, you know, you, the more I did it, the better I got. But the first couple of times I just remember stumbling over words and, you know, even like the first one I remember even giving in college, dude, it was a shit show, man. But I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was, just, I mean, I was nervous. I was almost like sweating and everything, but I mean, did, would that ever come to you or is it just a natural flow? Like um, so I, I'm blessed in that I, I have, I know exactly what you're talking about. I have experienced stage fright. It's just few and far between for me. And again, getting to be on stage at six years old, anybody who has a young child, four five, six years old, you know, that they're fearless, Sure, fearless because they haven't learned what is yeah, scary yet. I don't care. They, they haven't experienced it. So a hot oven, let's put our hand on it. Seems <laughs> fun, right? Sure. Stick me in front of. 10,000 people, why not? No big deal. They don't they don't know, especially if it's dress up and playtime. You know, like my first experience was in a beautiful 1500 seat auditorium. And to this day I go I still can go to that theater because I grew up I I you know, I'm still in Calgary and it's where I grew up, it's where home is. So, you know, I the, what is my home theater? I go and I watch plays there all the time and and you know, it's one of those it's it's a comfort place for me. 
So I'm actually remarkably comfortable on stage in front of an audience. And the other thing is too, depending on where the venue is, half the time you can't see the audience. Like if it's a a theater or an auditorium, you're really, you're there on your own and you can, you can hear and you can feel the audiences there, but you can't see them. They're, it's this dark blank haze. Like you're just, they're not even there. So for me, it's been a comfort, but I do remember the first time that I experienced stage fright. Um, at that point, I had been speaking for about eight years. I was 14 years old and in the ninth grade. And in uh, for Remembrance Day, our version of Memorial Day, okay. um, there is a very famous um, poem called Flanders Fields. And uh, it's by John McRae. And it, basically, there are two things that happen at any um, any Remembrance Day ceremony. You're going to have a horn player play taps, and somebody is going to read in Flanders Fields. That's just how it is. And so from about the time I was eight years old, um, I had this poem memorized. It was just one of those things where... Um, you know, I've always been really good at memorization and, nice. and, and it, it's, it's a gift. And again, one of those things, how do you know you're, you're doing the thing you're supposed to do? You have all the tools in the toolbox to be able to go and perform this job. And for one of them, I've always been able to memorize. So from about eight years old, I had in Flanders fields memorized and committed to heart, right? In Flanders fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row that mark our place and in the sky, the larks still bravely singing fly scarce heard amongst the guns below. We are the dead short days ago. We lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, lived and were loved. And now we lie in Flanders fields. And it goes on and on and on, but I've had that poem committed to heart for forever. So on the, in the ninth grade, you know, I went, the school where th- that I went to was divided. You had elementary, so one to six, and then you had junior high, uh, seven to nine, and then there was high school, right? The sure. 10 to 12. And so when you were in middle school, when you're in the ninth grade, you're the oldest student there and you're kind of a big deal. You're kind of important. And I was kind of important. I was Tyler <laughs> Foley. I was actor, you know, I was, I was big energy, a theater. Right. And, um, and I knew this, I knew this poem, I knew it by heart, I could just say it. And so I was asked to do it. And at this particular um, assembly, usually I would do it, and it was just students and faculty. Okay. But at this one, they had a whole bunch of veterans that were there. I think it was, it must have been the 50th anniversary of the end of, of World War two it would have been the the second world war's kind of 50th anniversary and in flanders fields is is um uh from the first world war but you know you still read it and so they had all of these uh, veterans and this one veteran they wheeled him in in a wheelchair and he had a a cane across his his lap and he was decorated like he had every medal you could think of like his chest was like this he had the hat he was you know, suit was pressed. Um, you could tell it only came out for special occasions kind of deal. And he had these blue steely eyes. Um, anybody who watches game of Thrones will get this reference. They Ooh. look, he looked like a white Walker. I'm with like you. He was, 
He was pale and his eyes were like, they almost glowed blue. And he's like, she's staring at me. Right. And I'll never forget it. He leaned forward. He had this, this cane and he picked it up off the, off of his wheelchair and he leans forward like this. And he, and he looks at me and, and he just, his eyes pierced my soul. And I'm looking at this man and I'm thinking, this dude seen some stuff. Like he was, he was there. Like, and then all of a sudden the words that were just words before, like I can put emotion behind it, but they were just words on a page to a 14 year old kid. And all of a sudden I'm like, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow. These were his, these were his friends. They were alive. He's seen people die. He's been in a place of death. He knows Oh, I know. I don't know anything. I I've grew up in a small farming community. I the, the biggest excitement that I saw was, you know, a cow died giving birth, right? Like that's <laughs> like what do what do I know? Right. I, know I'm with you. I agree. And Damn. and I Damn. and all of all of a sudden all of this stuff starts running through my head. I'm like who am I to be giving these words? And then they call my name to come up and do it and this guy's looking at me and in my head I'm thinking he's thinking, "Come on kid, what do you got?" Right? Don't disappoint sure. me. He was probably, the reality is he was probably thinking, why did they wheel me here? It's lunchtime and, you know, Jeopardy's on and in a half hour. So this better not go too long, right? That's probably what he was thinking. But in my heart, he's judging me. Oh, is he judging me? And so the poem's called In Flanders Fields. The very first line is, in Flanders Fields, the poppies blow. I stand up and I go, um poppies oh god uh, p- uh, p- uh, oh, p- um uh, and you know my face flushes my my armpits are like sweating oh. and i my mouth is completely dry and yet i'm spitting a whole bunch i'm i'm sweating like this but i'm freezing cold my hands are shaking i can hear my pulse in my ears it's just like <laughs> i can feel my chest wanting to burst i want to throw up like all of these things happen all at once and I'm like, oh, this is stage fright. Okay. Ooh, I don't like this. And I, my vice principal, rest his soul, uh, Dr. Uh, Mr. Holloway Chuck, he uh, kind of graciously pushes me to the side. He's like, we have a copy of it over there. Just grab it and go read it. I'm like, okay. You know, and then they just went over and ha- played taps, laid yeah. the wreath, and then brought me back to read the thing. By that point, the mean grizzled guy who by the way kind of looked like um clint eastwood if you shoved a lemon in his mouth and then kicked him in the balls uh he that's just that's what he looked like Um, by that point he's drifted off to sleep so he's not even looking at me anymore i'm like okay we can do this we can get through this but i re i didn't realize in that moment but what i realized later on in reflection especially as i started to write my book and tried to get stuff out is what I was actually afraid of was not public speaking, right? I've, at that point, I've been public speaking for eight years, performing for that. What I, what I was and what most people who think they're afraid of public speaking are actually afraid of is public judgment. And so the reason I hadn't experienced stage fright up until that point was I always trusted and had faith that the audience was on my side, mm-hmm. that they were there for me. They were there to be entertained. And my job was just to go and make sure that, that I did my job. Go out, perform, make them happy, and hear the applause. The applause was how I knew I did good. And so it was never a, a frightful or terrible, uh, terrifying thing. But then I, in that moment, with that veteran looking at me and realizing, hey, I hadn't done my prep work the way that I needed to. Sure. Um, 
that I hadn't given it the gravitas or the consideration that I hadn't put my audience first. That put me into this, this moment of judgment. And I was terrified. I was terrified of the judgment that I would receive from that audience. And that's really what stage fright is. So yes, I have experienced it, but it's few and far between and uh, significantly less the more I do it, right? Confidence comes through competence. And well, I love that saying. I love that saying. Yeah. The only way to become competent at a thing is to do it over and over and over again. You, you know, repeated effort alone will bring you perfection. Yeah, that's one thing I've been learning doing these podcasts and stuff. You know, the more I do it and me trying to research some stuff and, you know, get a little some talking points. But yeah, I firmly believe in confidence builds confidence, dude. And first time I heard that, it made it just resonated with me. It's like, that makes so much sense, you know? Yeah. It's like, you know, and you can tell, you know, there's levels to everything it's, as well as you know, and like as far as podcasting, acting, uh, athletics, you know, it's just you, you have these humbling experiences and stuff and you're like, oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. There's uh, levels. There's levels. Okay. I'm a goaltender in ice hockey. And I play very regularly in the plus 65 week. <laughs> I'm on my 43rd birthday. Desperate for goalies. So I get to play with the old guys. And I like, I feel like I'm Dominic Hasek out there, right? Or Andre Vasilevsky or any of these great goalies right now, Biddington, you know, and I'm like, I like shut the door on these guys. And then I go play with dudes, you know, every once in a while I get to do a league game with ex junior players and they're still in their early twenties. And they light me up. Oh shit. Right. Like, and yeah. it's, and it's all, it's that confidence thing. It's always that, you know, with the old guys, I can track that shot. I'm like, I got this. And I play with the young guys and it's like, Pating! and I'm like, well, I didn't even see it. Where the, what? I'm getting <laughs> shellac. I, it won't translate. Oh, you can almost see it. Oh yeah, uh, this, dude. This is a bruise Ooh. from two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, I took a puck off and I wear a chest protector, a heavy, heavy pro level chest protector. Oh. And, I have a chest protector and I have a throat collar. It's Kevlar. I like to tell people that I took a rubber bullet standing up for freedom just because it's better than <laughs> saying that I took a puck because, you know, a puck is a rubber bullet and freedom is keeping the puck out of the net. I stood up for what I believe in, a zero score it. on the – I love and it. And it hurt, man. And those guys – and after that, I'm like, no, man, you can have that shot. You want that? It's yours. Just yours. Go for it. Shoot. <laughs> yes. You do that thing, man. Because it, it hurt. But, yeah, confidence, man. The more – the when I'm playing at this level, I forget that I – need to play at this level yeah right and i play low sure. it feels good i mean hey yeah it feels good i like i like playing with my old guys they're fun they're they're great but it, when i need to challenge myself and i'm up here but the funny thing is is as i start to play that game and i start to get into my rhythm i start to make some saves yeah i'm not posting a nine two save percentage i'm probably down around the 7500s or like even sub seven it's bad right i'm letting in three goals for every 10 shots but I start to get better as the game goes on. And maybe I let in three or four at the beginning, but I start to learn the shooters. I start to adapt. My brain starts to recognize that puck's traveling a lot faster. And I gain confidence through competence. And the next thing I know, I'm stepping out on top of the crease and I'm challenging those shots a little bit more. I'm playing a little bit faster because they're playing a little bit faster. And all of a sudden I'm back on top of my game and the old guys hate it. They hate it because they can tell the days where I was playing the night before with the 20 year olds because I come on, I blank them. I'm like, where are you? I've got this. Ah. <laughs> oh, Tyler, I know we're getting a little short on time here, but you know, tonight, you know, we feel, I feel like we've, you know, we've talked about obviously competence and confidence. We talked about ego, your acting, your story. I mean, a little bit of everything. I mean, was all this just kind of rolled in and the reason you have as a motivation for you to write the book? 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the book, it's funny. The book came about because I was tired of saying the same thing over and over again. Hmm. Right. Like people would come to me and they're, well, how do you do it? How do I do what? How do you get up on stage so confident? How do you get over stage fright? How do you prepare properly? Like, cause that's the other thing too. I'd hear all the time. I'd be like, people are like, I prep and prep and prep for months for a speech. And then I blank and I'm like, okay, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I spend all this time memorizing. I'm like, okay, well, there's a problem. <laughs> Stop your, your prep is wrong. And so I would take people through and I would just say it over and over and over again. And finally I was like, oh, I should just write this down. I, I wish I had a thing where I could just like hand it to you and be like, here, read this and uh and go <laughs> and then come back with questions because then there'll be better and more informed questions and then we can really start delving deep into into the techniques and so um that really was the driving factor behind the book that and i was starting to get bigger and better stages as a keynote presenter mm. and one of the first things some of the larger promoters are going to ask is well do you have a book do you have a course what do you offer because they want a back end to it right they, you never just oh, go that makes it. sense right? You never just go on as a speaker. Like no keynote is just a keynote. They're a keynote who are doing a breakout session. They're a keynote who offers a course. They're a keynote who has a book. They have, they, you have some coaching, you have something else to offer beyond just, Hey, this is me. And this is my story. And this is what I do. And so, you know, I was getting the bigger, better stages. So as just part of the evolution of my business model, I needed to have a book, I needed to have a course, I needed to have coaching, and all of these things came together. So there was a lot of motivating and driving factors behind the book, but the content came from, I was just tired of saying the same thing over and over again. It was easier <laughs> to say it on stage to a thousand people than to individually do it one-on-one. -on -one. And if you wanted it one-on-one, -on -one, let's have an introduction and start with the book. Tyler, let's take this home. If uh, people want to find you, find the book and all that good stuff, if you want to plug all that, how do they, how do, they do that? Well, it, there's a, a very quick and fast way to do it. But before I give it to them, Chris, I would ask them to do me a favor. Okay. And that is if they're getting value out of your show, and if they're coming on and regularly downloading episodes of, of your podcast, they're coming back for a reason. And I would ask them if they've given you any kind of review. And if they haven't, I want them to hit pause on whatever device they're listening to right now because you're on it. You're listening right now. So it's real easy to do. You hit pause, you go five stars or, you know, a thumb up or a like or whatever your platform takes, give a five-star review and let Chris know what was an episode that had impact on you. Like what was a guest that he had on that, that mattered to you? What is the content that he's bringing you that resonates and has impact on you so that Chris can then get better guests on to serve your needs. So be very specific with your review like what do you like what what do you want to see more of and give it a five star and if your audience is willing to give you a five star review because they hit pause and now they're back hearing this part of this message because they right you've spent sure. the last five yeah. minutes giving a five, five star review if you've done that then i would invite you to come to seantylerfoley.com and sean is spelled the proper irish way s-e-a-n t-y-l-e-r foley.com and on there you find all things tyler um right above the fold the first thing you're going to see is an invitation to come into my free facebook group called endless stages and there i go live every tuesday at noon pacific three eastern time i give a 20 minute training on whatever comes up in the group that day this, today we did um lessons learned from watching other speakers because hmm. I just had the opportunity to be at a conference with 10 other world-class speakers, including Tony Robbins and see 
what some of these big names do to prepare uh, the mistakes that they make, the wins that they have, how they prep. Uh, Phil Town, who's one of my favorite speakers, I love watching his his presentation for how it's structured and, and the way that he sells without selling, like all of these things we discussed. So I come on live every Tuesday, noon Pacific, three Eastern, inside of the Endless Stages Facebook group. You can get to that very quickly by going to seantylerfoley.com. And then you can get all of the freebies too. If you come through the website instead of through uh, Mark Zuckerberg's site, if you come through my website to do that, you get freebies, including a, a free download of the PDF version of my book, The Power to Speak Naked. You get access to our Drop the Mic Trainer program. You get a free 20-minute one-on-one session with me. Uh, all of these things I make available, and I would love to offer that to your audience as a gift. But only if they give you a five-star review. Tell them. Tell them. I they you have to give Chris a five star review. You're already on your the platform. I've reminded you three times. Hit pause, give it a five star review, come back, go to SeanTylerFoley.com, get your freebies, get signed up in endless stages, and uh I'd be happy to help them explore their story and how to get it out there. Cool. Tyler, thanks, man. This is great. You're a badass dude, dude. So it's my pleasure and my joy, Chris. All right, appreciate it, man. Um, everybody, we're out of here. Be good to yourselves. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.